You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Henry Tetley. I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today I'm your host. Welcome back, guys, to the latest episode of the um, the Evolution Exchange. Uh, it's great to have you all here today uh, to discuss the topic, which is effective leadership. Um, so we've got a great panel. Um, so let's get into the intros. Artem, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Artem. I am an engineer manager in EdStart. So EdStart is a Australian leading technology and uh financial services companies. So basically we're providing the payment services for education and uh, what we actually do, we kind of try to help um, families to manage their school fees better, providing them different options and um, different ways of paying those school uh, fees. Also help schools to improve their fee collections. And because obviously, you know, families have better usually payment um, like ways of paying that and you know less dropouts less people missing payments and all that so it works for for everyone um as a technology team i guess we are behind all the tech that drives the business that helps you know uh deliver the service and um yeah so i guess i've been in industry for what is it now over 15 years probably since 20 2006 Something like that. Uh, been a while. Uh, last five years, uh, more than five years, I guess now, uh, leadership roles, starting with small teams. Uh, now uh, it's a team of 10. Nice and good and focused team. Really enjoyed. Before it was a little bit larger team and a few teams, in fact. But um, yeah, been in with that start for all the past six months. Been a very nice ride. Very happy to be here. Very Great stuff. Cheers, Artem. Appreciate that. And uh, Beanish, over to yourself. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Beanish. Um, I'm CTO at Practera. Uh, I've been there for just over six years um, and CTO only for almost two years now. Um, so Practera is a education technology company. Uh, what we focus on is teaching the sorts of skills that you only learn by experience. Uh, so like, for example, when you're at university, you learn from books, you learn, you know, all the theory. But then when you get into the workplace, you find that there are more skills that you don't have. You only learn while working in the workplace. Um, so we allow uh, like university students, high school students to learn those sorts of skills using our experiential learning platform. So we have a services side of the business and I manage the platform side of the, um, the, side of the business. Um, yeah, and we've been in business, I think, maybe for 12 years now. I'm not sure. Though this is, it's been a while. Uh, but we work at the majority of the universities in Australia, a few in the UK, and uh, a few in the US. Um, the team has sort of uh, fluctuated in size, but we started with what was a very, very young, very junior team for them. Most of them, you know, it was their, their first job. Um, and we've grown some of them to quite senior leaders and put junior people on the form. Um, so yeah, you know, nice, nice little team. Cheers, Vinish. And James, over to yourself. Thank you, Henry, for the opportunity to be here today. Hi, everyone. My name is James Para, and I am a Senior Software Engineering Manager. I've been in the industry for about 20 years. My background is uh, I have been a software engineer, technical lead, lead developer, so it's a very hands-on in the earlier parts of my career. But for the last 10 years, I've been focusing on building and managing large software engineering teams in a couple of companies. 
So that's, uh, you know, relatively large teams with multiple squads. I currently work in an exciting company called Prezi, which is a global digital gifting platform that started out out of Australia, uh, currently in scale up mode and going through hyper growth. So it's a really exciting time. We've been having a lot of fun over the last um, three years, even though I've only been there for a bit, about a year and a half. Uh, but we're building some really interesting products to work at a global level on, on gifting. Um, so, so it includes a lot of things, you know, gifting, um, there's a lot of payments aspects to them. Um, but we like to think of it also as, you know, creating remarkable digital gifting moments for our customers. So it's great to do that at a global scale across a lot of countries. Prior to Prezi, um, I was I, I'm very lucky also to work in some great tech, tech companies. Um, you know, the likes of Canva, OFX and Nuix, um, worked with some great teams there. Uh, but bef even before that, I um, also had the chance to work on larger enterprises, you know, things around investment bank banking, stock trading, insurance and digital media. Outside of work, I love spending time with my family and I, uh, my second passion besides uh, computers and software engineering is probably music. So I love to play musical instruments. Yeah, and it's just great to be part of this discussion today. Thank you. Absolutely. Great to have you, James. And last but not, not least, uh, we've got a returning um, uh, podcast speaker. Uh, we've got Jack. Thanks, Henry. And uh, what a what an exciting career, James. My one is very similar to James. I've got 20 years of 20 plus years of development experience. I started out in in software development as a as a junior, and then went up to be um, slowly into lead principal, architect, um, uh, head CTO, and 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 now back to head again. Uh, I've uh, I've worked in a lot of major companies, um, both both small, um, sort of small ten people companies to to hundred people companies to like uh, scale ups as well. So where um, uh, some one one of my roles, um, few roles before my current one, we we scaled up our existing company from from twenty people to two hundred people in a in a matter of a year, which was uh, which was very very interesting. And um, I also worked on uh, a lot of startups and founded and co-founded a whole bunch of different uh, businesses. Was was also um, also joined a bunch of accelerators like uh, Antler and um, UNSW founders. Just on my journey to to building building businesses. Uh, currently, I'm the uh, head of engineering for Stockspot, and uh, Stockspot is. A robo advisor. We help build and manage um, um, share market portfolios for for our customers. So, um, yeah, anyone can can join, and um, we'll help you invest. Uh, outside of outside of work, I uh, I, I like uh, sports, a bit of badminton um, uh, and swimming, um, and and also just. Um, yeah, uh, board games as well. Thank you. Awesome. Good to have you back, Jack. Thank um, you. So, so yeah, let's let's get into it. So um, the the first topic of discussion we've got today um, is something Artem, I know you were you keen to to speak about is um, as an effective leader. Um, you know, does that mean leading people or leading the business? And you know, what 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 exactly is it? So um, I'll let you let you kick us off there. Yeah. Thanks. Th thanks, Henry. I yeah when when I started thinking about the topic I guess for today I probably kind of fell through the you know into this rabbit hole of 
what is leadership even uh, you know is what what effective means how do we measure effectiveness where we go but i guess that's probably too much for today where i where i ended is um leading i guess there is there are different flavors to that right you can lead people you can lead business and i'm very curious to hear from different experiences uh, what does it mean for 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 everybody right in a way that I've seen people who could lead the business or I suppose who could create the business and, and get it to some results who were not necessarily very good people leaders or not people leaders at all. I've seen people leaders, good people leaders leading business as well successfully. I haven't necessarily seen people leaders who couldn't lead the business or the successful people leaders who could lead the business as well to some good results so yeah so is there a difference first of all um if there is what is the overlap between those two areas or and can one like say can can people leadership exist without business leadership can business leadership exist without people leadership and uh, yeah because that 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 is my question Awesome. Um, so, uh, so yeah, um, Beanish, have you have you got any thoughts on on that? Yeah. Look, this is something that I find that you know I've always struggled with as well. Moving from technical roles into leadership roles, you know, this doesn't not normally come naturally to someone who's been a dev to you know move into a leadership role and suddenly start thinking about the business. Um, and this constant balancing act that I think that people try to find sort of sets you up for failure. Um, the approach that um, you know, I would take, you know, I take in this, in this scenario, is figure out okay, what are the few things that are important to the business? What are the few things that are important to the team? And as long as they don't contradict each other, if you can focus on those things, um, then it helps you to be able to, um, you know, lead from what the business needs and also lead from what your your team needs as well. Um, I've you know, I'm probably a much better, you know, people leader and team leader than, than I am business leader. Um, but what I've done is focused on from the business side is the strategy. What is the strategy, you know, that we have agreed with the executive team that we want as a business? What is going to help us move our business forward? If we've decided that strategy on the business side, then we can, you know, um, work with the team, work with our planning to be able to execute to that strategy. So if in business side, we're focusing on that strategy on the team, we're focusing, okay, what do you need to be able to do? What do you need to be able to learn? What do you need to be able to achieve to deliver to that strategy? Um, then that's how I, I balance those two things. Sure. Yeah, no, some some great points there, Beanish. Thank you. Um, James, what about yourself? Yeah, uh, great topic. Thanks, Artem, for putting that forward. Um, I've actually got a lot of thoughts about uh, this one. I, I know I can really share a few. Um, f- first of all, um, even though I, I know for today's discussion, we're talking more from a um, software engineering or software development sort of point of view. I, I really subscribe to this idea that to build great teams, it's great that if everyone in those teams has leadership qualities. I, I was actually discussing this topic with um, uh, some people in my team this week. Um, you know, sometimes there's this belief that to be a leader, you have to manage people or to have a team. Uh, but leadership can be a lot of other things, you know, and you don't have to have people reporting into you to show leadership. So, so I, I think that's an important um, aspect. Um, I, I think most companies these days would have some sort of structure where, you know, technology or engineering is collaborating with product. 
Um, so, so I, um, you know, my feeling on this one is, you know, to, to be a, a good leader, you, you kind of have to be good at both and to pay attention to both, lead, leading the people and leading the business. Um, I probably shared just three, three things I was thinking about this one. Uh, you know, the work that we do these days, and it probably always has been in engineering, is, is complex. So part of the leadership we can provide from engineering is providing good visibility on things like risks, incident management, technical debt. Because uh, sometimes it's, it's quite hard to see those things and to make good business decisions, it's good if we have structures to visualize and to manage those things. Uh, even better if we can advise the business on, you know, tactical or strategic approaches to, to deal with um, those, those elements as well. Uh, when you get into more senior leadership, I think it's, it's really important to um, collaborate and, and give input into things like decisions on buy versus build decisions. Um, th these are you know pretty hard decisions and you, you need to be collaborating on business goals versus technical goals. Um, sometimes it makes sense that you build everything yourself, sometimes it doesn't and you can get faster to those um, business and company strategies if, if you sort of make those decisions right. And, and probably the last one I'll, I'll throw in there as well, um, a really great thing to, that can come out of engineering teams as well is innovation. So, so one of the other ways that you can help to lead the business is that good ideas can come from anywhere in the team. Um, and I've, I've seen that firsthand in several companies. We know we've done um, that really well running hackathons. Bit, bit of a plug here, but I, I really like one of the ones that we've done um, at Prezi, done several hackathons. We do them once every three months. And we've got an exciting product coming out called Prezi Buzz. Uh, where it was pretty much a team that thought of, um, you know, how to create uh, appreciation and recognition, because that's what we're about, digital gifting moments. Uh, something that integrates really well into uh, tools like Slack and Teams. Uh, people give each other points, then you, you know, give praise, and then you get points and redemption credits out, out of those things. Uh, it, it's just a great story uh, of leadership coming from the teams themselves to something that really helps the business to move forward. Yeah, awesome. No, that's um, that's that's great, James. Uh, Beanish. Yeah, I just wanted to comment that uh, I think what James has said about everyone being able to have leadership skills is really important, and I, it's one hundred percent true. Um, something that I talk to my more junior members of my team about as well. That look, just because you don't aren't in a position of power, just because you're not, you know, leading other people, doesn't mean that there is information, or skills, or knowledge that you have. Um, that you know that is ahead of other people so i encourage them to use their thought leadership um to be more involved and to um yeah to show leadership in that way using their knowledge and their skills and encouraging them that way so jen that's that's awesome and uh jack what, what are your thoughts yeah, that's a very thought-provoking provoking question. And uh, just like James and Binish has mentioned, um, you don't have to be a leader. Um, you don't have to be in the position of the role in the business of a, of a, of a manager or a leader to actually lead. And also at the same time, um, managers, uh, people in the role of managers may not always be a good leader. Um, just have a think back to some old managers that Olivas has worked with in the past. What are the ones that you're just like, oh, like you just want to be very close to this person. Like they're they're super encouraging. They're super fun to be with. And then I'm sure there's always also some managers that's like, ah, oh, like 
as soon as I finish work, I just want to go home, right? Like, <laughs> I don't want to spend another moment with this manager. I, I'm sure, I'm sure all of us um, at some point or another, and it doesn't have to be at work. Sometimes it can be in school. It can be with some teachers. It can be um, relatives. Um, all of us to a certain point in time are always leaders. It can be a community event where we're wanting to say, for example, organize a, a play at school. Yeah, I'm sure there's there's some leaders in there. Uh, and um, coming back to those two different variations, then there's always those people, the best, some of the best leaders that are, can both lead um, people and also lead business, right? So they're, they're really some of those um, um, entrepreneurs with leadership qualities where they have a, a massive, a great vision um, of what the business could be, where they, where the team can head. Um, I'm sure heaps of experience and skills and all that. Um, and also they're able to motivate, encourage and um, get the team on this, on board, on this journey um, and, and really buy into this amazing journey. Say, for example, like we want to, we want to save the world. We want to, um, we want to make the world green again. <laughs> Um, super sustainable um, and, and really having a, a team that really buys into it that's motivated not not only from a business perspective but it's also very much in their values and DNAs um, those would would be the best types of leaders yeah yeah awesome I mean there's some some great points there um, and that ties in um, you know quite nicely into the next uh, the next question of how do you stay effective as a leader as your as your team scales out um james i know that's something that you are you're pretty keen on uh, discussing i'll um i'll let you kick us off there thanks henry yeah i thought this topic would be quite interesting to discuss um you know and hopefully um for the listeners uh, you know when you're working in roles like at uh techly to begin with and then an engineering manager moving to larger teams um something that i've learned a lot from uh, and, you know, kind of reflected a lot on is what you need to be working on and helping the team with changes. Not, not every situation is the same. Um, so, so there was lots of thoughts I had around this one, probably starting from, you know, when you first start leading teams, maybe as a tech lead or just leading one squad, maybe some of the things you, you, you tend to focus on because many of us um, come from being technical and being an engineer, you, you kind of feel like you have to continue helping the team being hands-on, you know, coding, and being right there in the design and architecture of systems. Um, and that's not a bad thing to do. I think that the more that you can do that, the better, right? But just when you start, um, you know, growing then to uh, running larger teams or working with larger teams, um, I've really re reflected that you have to keep asking yourself this question of where, where is the place where I can add the most value to the team? And, and, and at some point, you know, um, if you're getting towards, you know, running teams of 40 or 50 engineers, maybe coding isn't you know that activity that's gonna help the, the team um and I, I, you know and i've made that mistake uh, probably in the past years ago when I, I would continue to try to give that kind of kind of contribution because i really enjoyed doing that activity of coding and being hands-on but but you really have to then start paying attention that there's probably other more important areas that only you can help the team with um for example facilitating a really difficult decision um, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times it's been a few uh, in a few companies where I've had to facilitate conversations about choosing between CloudFormation, Terraform, and CDK. <laughs> in a fascinating discussion. 
um, it, it's hard for teams sometimes because they're all you know good, good technologies and how do you find you know the best way forward for that company? Um, maybe the best way to help the team is focusing on hiring. You know, um, really working hard on filling a key role like a technical lead, uh, because if you find the right person, you'll probably get helping the team. You know, in such uh, a much bigger way that, than anything that you can do contributing to a feature via code. There's also a lot of work as a leader to, um, you know, build relationships with other squads that are across the company, understand the product. That all takes time. So, so, so again, you know, it's, it's just changing that focus that you can, yeah, you know, if you have the time, great. If you can contribute technically still, but sometimes you can add high value by focusing on, on those other things. Probably one, one last good example, there's so many of them, but focusing on developing a good onboarding program. Because if you're if you're on a hyper growth um, scale like we've been at, at Prezi, you know you're hiring people all the time, and you, you have to have a good way to sort of you know get them onboarded. Uh, that's more valuable than maybe coding on a particular task. Yeah, so so, so, so that was the I, I guess the thought. You know, how, how do we change the focus of the things that are important that we can be working on as leaders as the team scales? Sure. Okay. No, appreciate that. And, and what what are your thoughts? Like you know. What would your your strategy be of, of how would you do that? Um, well, well, like like I said, um, I, I think I've just um, seen, um, learned from really good people, and, and had some good results. Like I said, on, on focusing on the things that are more um, benefiting a whole team of forty or fifty engineers. I, I think all the coaching that we can do as leaders on maybe ways to prioritize. Uh, because again, as, as I start talking about the bigger teams, that there's a lot happening, right? And you're right in the middle of it as a leader. You have to have effective ways to, as they say, not drop any balls. So you need to be good at delegating. Um, I personally like to write a lot of things down just to know everything that we've got. Be really clear on how you set and manage expectations of what am I going to be looking after versus what is one of my tech leads or one of my squads going to resolve. It's, it's, so it's focusing on those things that let you run a better, a better system you know, for a bigger team than, like I said, just focusing on the coding task or the technical task sure. of an individual level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I um, one of my um, my managers from uh, like one of my first my first roles in sale, sales, I think it was, um, used to always, uh, in a jokey way, used to always um, refer to the phrase as, you know, delegation is always like, you know, uh, the best trait a manager could have. I think that was maybe his way of trying to get me to do more work than, uh, than him, but um, <laughs> that's, that's up for debate. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, Artem, um, what, what's your thoughts off the back of that? Uh, yeah. I mean, very, very good question. To be honest, that question probably haunts me like every day, um, you know, for the past whatever years, because uh, you know, you need to, I believe you need to stay, you know, on top of this game or otherwise you, you don't do your job. But yeah, just, I guess, looking back, there's a, a, a very good point, James, James, you brought, right? Like, um, it's, first of all, like, what do you do? And and, and I guess I, I'm, I'm cheating a little bit because I'm, my answer to that is uh, like focus on the important things, right? But then how do you figure out what is important? When I, have a discussion with people with my teammates uh, or with like people just outside who want to probably step into the leadership roles first and they don't know where, where to go i always tell them that if you're not ready to give up what you're doing you shouldn't probably transition yet like you're just gonna suffer you're gonna hate it right so 
when you become a leader, you like if you keep doing what you've been doing before, you're gonna fail, right? You because now, as you said, right, you have people with you, and your output is not measured by your personal output. Like if you just keep coding, for example, all day throughout, it's you're still gonna be like it's gonna it's gonna be your output, but your team's output probably gonna slide down for various reasons. It's all all the all the you know human human things then now your output is measured by your team's output, not by your output, ultimately. So you've gotten to this role for one or the other reason or for a multitude of reasons which were good in you. Now, how do you grow that in your team and basically make not everyone like you, but I guess everyone sort of get good traits from your knowledge or from others as well and expand that and how you solve the problems that you're there, which we usually always do. Uh, again we're all human beings and then that's what we need to be doing so in my view you like at least what i'm trying to do is always look a little bit ahead right because right now the team is doing this sure well it's working right like is it working good or bad like we, we can measure there are ways of measuring this and it's good to do it but i need to be solving the problems that existing in the team or even better, I need to make sure that I predict the problems that may happen in, in the future and remove them before they even happen, or at least at the very early stages. And so I'm kind of trying to stay ahead of the game there. And um, that's one of the things that you just have to do. And that probably will keep you going and keep you growing as well, because you always face new problems, right? I mean, your team's getting larger, right? What do you do? As uh, James, again, you said, you know, you're on hyper growth, right? Your team's doubling maybe every every two months, maybe every four months. So every time team doubled, you just throw out all your processes, start from scratch, basically, right? So, okay, how, how do you deal with that? But then if you don't think about it, you're just hiring right now and you're all in hiring. And you don't think that what you're going to do when your team's going to be doubled, then by the time you're going to get there, by the time you hire everyone, you're like in big trouble. Because now you have it in hands, everything falling apart. Now you need to deal with the consequences. So because by staying ahead of that game, you'll be in a much better position. But then again, working closely with your people is uh, the key as well. Because again, you need to rely on this as... Henry, you mentioned, right, the delegation is the best trait. I kind of 100% agree with that. Like, it's probably the one, the first thing you kind of need to learn, right, how you trust people you work with, how you make sure that you don't do the job that they're supposed to be doing because you not only delegate them just in dumping all the work on them, you kind of also making sure that they, first of all, can succeed doing this work and uh, you also hold them accountable once you give them that work, right? But you do it properly, not just like, oh, you failed, you know, you're, you're a bad employee, whatever. But I guess coaching, coaching people, right? Working with them closely, especially if they lack some skills to do the job, but getting them to do it, getting them to grow, basically, and ultimately helping you to do more things because that's what I expected from you. Yeah. That's, uh, in my view, that, you know, keeps you there in the game Absolutely. and keeps you growing as well. Yeah, no, great, great points, Artem. Um, Benish, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I'm going to agree with Artem here as well. Um, you know, if you're down in the weeds of the code, um, you're only going to see the problems at those weeds. You're not going to be able to see the system. You're not going to be able to support the rest of the team. And you're going to stagnate the growth of your team. 
if they're not solving their own, you know, solving their own problems, if you're not supporting them in that, um, if you're not giving them opportunity to, you know, solve the more difficult problems and, and um, you know, come up with the ideas and work with you on that, then they're not going to grow. They're not going to learn. Um, they're going to feel like their hands are being held. They're going to be hindered. Um, and that's not a good way forward for anybody. Um, when working with my team, you know, I stopped coding uh, as well with my team. And it was, you know, I was involved in everything except the code. Um, and I think that's really important that making sure that you're there and you're supporting them um, is, you know, is, is more important than you actually writing the code for them. Um, now, the other thing, I, the other side of the coin of when you're scaling your team is that when you're scaling your team, you're adding new members to the team, then your team dynamics are changing quite a bit as well. Um, and you need to keep in mind that each team member is an individual as well. They're always going to be thinking, okay, what is my role in this team? What is my position in this team? Um, uh, you know, where am I going here? Where do I fit in here? You know, this is what it was like for me six months ago, and now everything's changed. Um, you know, making sure that you're understanding each individual team member and how they need to be supported and, you know, reassure them that, yep, this is your role, this is where you fit in and this is how things work for you um, is something that I think is a lot more important as a leader than, you know, doing the code for them, definitely. Um, the the other thing is that when, um, you know, you are scaling your team, that that delegation, like you mentioned, Anthony Henry as well, is super, super important. Um, but when you're delegating, you also need to keep that in mind when you're hiring. So when you're growing that team, who are you actually hiring? Are you hiring more senior members into the team? Are you hiring more junior members into the team? Who are you going to be delegating to? To the people who have been with you for the last three, four years? Are you delegating to them and putting juniors under them? Are you bringing senior people in that are setting the rule form or above them? Um, and keeping an eye on that, keeping an awareness of that um, and making sure that that's balanced is really important as well. Um, for example, I mentioned that, you know, when I started with Practera, our team was very young, very inexperienced. Um, and, you know, throughout the years, we brought in more, you know, senior experienced people until those junior people, you know, we start considering them as seniors after, after you know, six years now. Um, and it's like, okay, you know, are we going to hire more senior people or are we going to give these people who have been with us on this journey, who have spent all this time um, upskilling, um, who are also now seniors, the ability to learn those leadership skills? Um, and then, yeah, we decided that we're going to put juniors under them. Um, that would allow me to delegate, that will allow them to upskill and allows us to build up our team as well. Um, so it's, you know, this constant balancing act, keeping all of these things in mind are much more important for the leader than having to, you know, sit there and be, you know, writing the code and the functions and doing all those sorts of things. And um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's much more important. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, the team don't want that either. They don't want you on the code. Um, they want to be able to do that themselves. Otherwise, you're hindering them. And they will tell you, don't do this. You're getting in my way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's the last thing you, you want to do. You don't want to get in their way. You want to, you know, clear roadblocks for them. Um, so, yeah, yeah that's, all. that's my chance of that. Awesome. Cheers, Vinish. And uh, Jack, what's your thoughts? Yeah, all very good comments. It's um, very hard to add to the top of that. Um, <laughs> I, I have three sub... Uh, I, I'm going to break this question, this answer into three subsections. Uh, the first is trust, the second is development, and the third is scaling. So 
The first thing around trust that has to do with delegation. I remember ages and ages ago when I first became a tech lead um, from from a developer, right? Like back in the day, which I can super relate to what James mean. Um, you're just hands on, like being being the best coder in the team, and then all of a sudden. Um, as a tech lead, it's like, oh, like I'll still be like coding nonstop and and doing everything. And um, and uh, at one point, I found myself uh, to be super stressed, right? Because um, I, I was I was super involved with um, all the code and everything else, and every different people in the team would just come and like, oh, what do you think about this? What do you do with this? Oh, this one shouldn't be done this way or this way or such and such, and um, aside from all my daily daily work that has to do with uh, as a lead, I also had to just make sure everything else is is working fine. So um, that was when I really learned how to how to trust people, and it, it's more about hey, uh, I'm not expecting everyone to deliver like perfect code, right? Like exactly it is to the dot. It's really just about learning. Uh, um, this is good. This is good. It, it's not going to be perfect, but it'll get there. Um, and just having the trust, having the trust in the team, making sure that um, you've had a really good hiring process, and the team that that is hired is um, uh, is perfect is great. And on top of that, everyone thinks differently. Even with excellent developers, there's different ways to do things, and um, just having the trust to them. So that's the first. First point. The second point is about development, and um, and that's also a very good uh, topic in the sense that as a leader, when do we actually stop developing? When do we actually stop coding? And um, is it something we enjoy? Or do we just want to lead people and not code? Um, and that's also something that I've struggled with for ages and ages. And I mean, for me as I am right now, it's like, I, I want the best of both worlds. So I want to be able to develop and I want to be able to, to lead. Uh, obviously it's not always easy, but, um, that's what I'm aiming for. And, um, I mean, in terms of that, it, in terms of work, uh, it really comes down to like how much time we have. Um, and also it comes down to, uh, the company size and, and what's happening. Say for example, um, there's com company has scaled up. It's maybe potentially scaled down at a later date. Um, sometimes that particular thing may or may not be needed. Um, maybe it's a small company. They might need their extra pair of hands. Maybe it's a huge company. It's growing. As you mentioned, they don't need. So um, that's my two cents on that topic. The third and final one is to do with scaling. And I've got a lot to mention uh, uh, about scaling because um, it, it is very difficult. And considering the situation I was in before, um, we had new people come in every single every single week. They'll be like, "Oh, hey, like uh, we're introducing these person, this person, this person," and it is a super fast way to dilute your company culture. <laughs> and um, because um, maybe we might have this nice group of group of people uh, everyone's like knows what's going on what the culture is how we do things and all of a sudden 100 people comes in and it's like oh we 
normally do things this way, we normally do things this way. Uh, one of the key is how do you how do you align this culture and how do you make sure that the great culture that we have stays? Um, potentially, one way is to um, to slow down the the scale up to a certain point where it's manageable. There's also discussions previously before about really creating a system, right? Like um, creating a system around onboarding, creating a system around um, uh, handover, having videos and such so that a big part of the process of new people coming in can be automated. And that could be, for example, in terms of the code, but it can also be in terms of culture, in terms of how we do things. It's not perfect, but it's better than nothing. Um, on top of that, the other thing, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about with, uh, with upscaling and with systems is really having a, um, as, as Beamish mentioned, really, how do you actually want to move your staff as new staff come in? Um, potentially maybe you might have a team and those, uh, some people in these team that would potentially be leaders would become, uh, their own team leaders in their own teams as as more and more people come in. Um, um, and, and that really has to do with something which I'll cover later, which is to do with with some of their goals, goals and ambitions. Um, don't there's no point putting someone that doesn't want to be a leader in a in a leadership position. Um, and also really setting up the um, setting up the system around okay how do people get promoted i, I keep having staff ask me oh, i'm i'm a, like a, a mid or i'm a senior how do i become a a lead like that that's my goal and ambition like um or how do i actually increase my um my my salary um and um say for example if it's like a handful of people and and that's fine. You can discuss, but if you're dealing with like 50 people or, or something, something, there needs to be a system in place. Yeah, that's that's all for me. Back to you, Henry. Awesome. <laughs> no, cheers, Jack. There's some some really great points being made there. Um, I think Artem, did you did you have something to add there to um, to Jack's first point around the trust aspect? Yeah, I just wanted to relate to Jack's experience. I guess we probably walked in you know, a similar paths because it reminded me when I got my first role as well as a lead, right? I was coding a lot and, you know, was, I don't know, was the best or not the best, but like one of the most probably coders in the company. And then all of a sudden I get a team and I just didn't stop, right? I just kept doing this full time plus the lead role full time. And I think like, half a year, year into it, I realized that like, if I, I'm going insane, right? Cause I'm literally working like double time uh, <laughs> around the clock. Like I was working weekends and, you know, evenings and something, not because we really needed that maybe, but just because I, 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 you know, like I want to do this and I want to do this. And it wasn't necessarily about the trust. It was more like, I even felt bad to give people like some, you know, uninteresting work. I, I kind of like, no, no, I'm going to do it myself, right? Oh, there, there is some production problem there. Like, I'm going to deal with it. I'm not going to give it to the team. And uh, later then I realized, okay, if I want to stay sane, I need to stop doing this basically. <laughs> and I switched a hard, like 180 degrees, right? Like I, I literally went completely no coding, which was also terrible idea. And only like after a little while I realized, okay, no, I, you know, kind of find a balance do it so i just just wanted to emphasize that i guess reiterate that like if anyone's listening to this uh, don't do this <laughs> it's it's, it's all about killing. that middle path 
yeah <laughs> there we go wheels. we've got some uh, some real life um experience and uh and direction there <laughs> no cheers atom beanish what about yourself yeah, look, I, I agree with that as well. You know, when I first stopped coding, it was almost like my hands would get itchy. And I'd be like, oh, I could just fix that so quickly or I could fix that so quickly. And um, it's really hard to hold yourself back from from doing that. Um, so, yeah, I, I really relate to that experience as well. Um, but then, you know, I, I was a developer before, but then in my team, I ended up with people who were data scientists or um, DevOps people who you know infrastructure focused. So when it comes to trusting your team, you also have to trust their expertise that, you know, that's not my area of expertise, right? You may be junior to me, but you know a lot more about this particular topic than me. So I'm going to trust you to be able to tell me what is best here and then we can work together um, to move forward. Um, so I think that is a big element as well where, you know, we have our own backgrounds, we have our own expertise, um, and we have to acknowledge when, you know, it's an area that we're not experts on, that we're not the best at. Um, and getting our hands dirty in there is not going to help our team members either. We need to trust them and trust their expertise to be able to do those things as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Cheers, Beanish. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, moving on to the the next question that we've got for, for today's podcast. So, um, Jack, you, you wanted to speak about how do you keep your staff motivated? So what what have you uh, what have you found has, has worked well? And, um, you know, what have you maybe found that's not worked so well? Over to you. Yeah, thanks, Henry. So what I wanted to do with this is really start with a, a analogy and um Normally, I find analogies easy to understand, and um, I sometimes go bushwalking, though though not enough, especially these days with with the super busy work. But say, for example, if you're going bushwalking with a group of people, right, um, and all of a sudden everyone starts going in different directions, how do you decide which person to follow? So. As a leader, and how do you how do you decide which leader to follow? Um, so, as a leader, you really want to. Um, what do your staff and what do the followers really look up to you to for? Um, so, one of the key things is you really you know the direction, right? You know where you're going. If if there's a bunch of people and some just they just look totally lost, you're like. Do you want to? Do you really want to follow them, or you want to know? You want to follow someone that knows. Okay, we, we need to go this way, we need to go south, we need to go north, 100 kilometers and then left, and then we'll get to our destination. But that's, that, that's some of the people that we want to follow. So that's number one. Um, someone that, a leader is someone that actually has, has the direction. The second thing is around how do leaders, um, how do leaders actually communicate, right? Like, um, for example, if this person you followed was just like, he, he doesn't look at you. He just goes on his own path, does his own thing. And you're like, oh, hey, like, wh where are we going? Like, wh what's going on? Uh, it's going to rain. Um, and, and he just does his own thing, right? Um, or he just points here and there, here, here and there and tries to make you guess. You'll be very frustrated, right? So the second criteria is, is, really about effective communication. As a leader, you need to be able to communicate and find a way for the people that are following you to understand. Otherwise, they'll they'll feel anxious. They're like, oh, like what, what's going on? 
Um, and uh, the third thing is leader needs to be caring. They need to be empathetic. They need to understand what the people that are working, are following them actually need or want. Say, for example, someone, uh, there's, there may be one person in the bushwalking group that's like, oh, I'm like getting, um, I can't walk that fast, right? Like, um, or maybe like I need to stop for water every um every every such and such or maybe some other people it's like oh i need to um uh i i can walk for a day without rest and it's really about knowing um knowing what what each of the individuals in the team are and trying to find find a balance and trying to find something that everyone would would enjoy and 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 like um obviously um with work you would have a super super high performing team and everyone would be performing um so um it's about really building up that that challenge and ensuring that everyone can grow and meet that one step beyond so understanding so we have being vision effective communication understanding everyone's wants and needs and um and uh in a topic that that's that Finnish will cover in a in a little bit around uh, how do you um, around how to meet some of those um, personal ambitions, and uh, the final thing is really um, and the final two things is uh, they sort of go together. It's really around creating a safe pe- safe place and having a having acknowledgement and constructive feedback. So. Um, um if you're in a team where it's like uh you don't know what's happening you don't know what the manager's thinking you don't even know if you'll have a have a job the next day or if you'll um actually get pushed to another team or something may happen then uh, or maybe for example um you made a mistake right uh as a as a as a staff and and then instead of going instead of having that feeling oh uh, no matter what's going to happen, I've already done to the best of my ability. And as a as a leader, I know that leader um, uh, is not going to just push all the blame onto me because, uh, to a certain extent, the team either achieves or fails. Right? It's a it's a team effort, and it's really about okay, if it's a mistake, how do we? Everyone makes mistakes. How do we actually solve it together? Um, so it's not really about pointing the finger, but how do we become better together? So, um, and and that that acknowledgement, really constructive feedback, having constructive feedback, and also um, there was a survey done ages ago, really about like we as leaders probably we or managers we give a lot of constructive feedback or feedback, but we don't get give enough acknowledgement and. Um, I mean, if there's anything that we can take away from this, it's really um, give more acknowledgement to your team. Say, for example, if one of the members um, uh, sort of did uh, uh, put some extra hours to to do this, or for example, they did a little bit of extra work, just acknowledge them for it, and um, and and that'll make the that'll make a world of difference. It may not make much difference to you, but it will make a world of difference to them. Um, why I'm talking about all of this because all of this has to do with actually increasing uh, staff motivation to a certain extent. It it provides a, a safe place for people to be. It provides 
it gives them comfort in knowing um, that they're being looked after. Some of their their goals are also being being achieved. It also gives comfort in that um, everyone knows where they're going, and they know that if I do this, it'll actually assist with the company goals, as opposed to I don't know where I'm going. I can do this, I'll do this, and sometimes if I do this, this is, may not be what the manager wants, and they may get angry. So um, that all that all contributes. And uh, yeah, that's that's everything else. Thank you. Awesome. Cheers, Jack. Can I just say, how good's an analogy? <laughs> I love them. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Artem, what's uh, what's your thoughts? It's um, yeah, it, it's a very hard and interesting topic. Uh, I very much agree with Jack on this. I guess in my view, there are two big things to this, right? So one obviously is. Well, we're all part of a business, right? We we all have one common goal, or we should have. Uh, and if we don't, we should figure out what it is ASAP. So that would be obviously one driving force. And I'm kind of a little bit sad because, well, this this all driving ultimately would come probably, you know, from your values and your, and your targets you want to achieve as a business. But unfortunately, I think by doing probably it's wrong, or I don't know how, but I guess those values, right, and all those company visions and things, at least I feel it, they they have kind of accumulated this a bit of a tainted, smelted, right, tainted, tasted for a lot of people. When you start talking with people about the values, and they will usually frown upon it, like at least a lot of people would do it, probably because they had all those bad experiences when you come into the company who like run around with their values, but they don't actually believe in them whatsoever. So... I'm kind of trying to slowly change that whoever I speak to simply because I always tell people like if you, if you don't really buy the values of your company and your, and your team, you're going to struggle there, right? Like just personally, like sure, you know, you can come in, do your work from nine to five, whatever, and leave and forget about it. If that's your type of work, be my guest. But if you... And you spent a lot of time at work, so you you want to be, I guess, invested a little bit into that, at least mentally. And that's the values, like your common your common shared values, common shared goals. That's where it's going to come from. Like if your your team has to have the values, right? And you like everyone in the team should share this majority of those values, and uh, not just say like, yeah, that sounds sounds okay, and forget about it. But they actually need to know them. They actually need to really believe in these things and the business has to have it and hence you know all this target of the business and the goal of the business is going to come down to the goals of the team and that itself creates a, a powerful drive for people to kind of try and achieve that if it makes any sense to them and again if it doesn't it's a very good question then to ask yourself and, and then even ask what i'm doing here if it doesn't make sense to me uh, and another part of it, obviously, everyone, every single person, even if they don't know about it, they have their own goals and they and, and their own values. In fact, um, a lot of people also just don't think about it, but then they still exist. And as the leaders, I believe that we must make sure that we kind of aware of those goals and we try and help people achieve those as much as possible. And Jack, you you said very much about this that. Yeah, like we need to make sure that people, you know, achieve what they want in their life, right? And get where they want in their lives. Sure, we want to try and merge it as much as possible with the business because we need to, you know, push the business. 
where we need it to be, where we want it to be, and align, but aligning the personal goals with the business. And if they kind of, if it's a hundred percent match or whatever, you know, like, like a Tinder swap, then it, it's perfect, right? Because you're going to be going where you want to be, business is going to be going with you where you want to be. If it's complete mismatch, again, that's probably a question mark. You know, you probably want to change something in your life, uh, particularly probably that business because it doesn't work for you. But then having all those personal goals and personal values and business goals and business values aligned um, obviously comes in also into play the human being part, right? Like, yeah, people like to be trusted. People like to have responsibility, at least majority of people. And um, the destructive part, at least, would be, you know, to remove all of that. And, you know, like basically micromanagement, and yes, everyone knows about all those things by now, but it's still happening a lot, right? Whereas like top-down decisions, right? You do this, you don't do that, and uh, that's it. You don't have a say in anything. You're just basically a cog in the wheel without any like you know any human any, any any human feelings emotions or thoughts but i guess actually elevating people to do their job helping them trusting them and empowering them basically which i guess that word also received a bit of a taint now uh, helps a lot to, to to push people going above and beyond and with that like as people go above beyond they'll take you on the journey right and the company on the journey as well with them so that to me that's the most powerful way of doing this awesome yeah cheers awesome uh, back back to you jack yeah that i just wanted to add to that because um i i can having worked in so so many companies i can really relate to the the values right um sometimes it's the, the values is just a, a company uh, marketing tool for, <laughs> for 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 the wider business, but then inside the company, it's like what what value? I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know what our company values are, um, and and that really uh, um, remind me of um, one of the most important things about being a leader. And we've already talked about it a lot in terms of trust. Um, however, what uh, it's really our trust to others, um, but it's actually uh, but trust is actually something that goes both ways. So, um, so really, um, the second thing, this important thing about being a leader is really being being genuine, right? And um, and really being to a certain extent predictable. Um, those are some things that could make people want to trust you. So, if we're not genuine or if we don't say what, if we don't do what we say or do the complete opposite, then people will just, yeah, it's like, oh, this, this person, they're just joking. There's no need to follow them. Um, yeah, thank you. Cheers, Jack. Um, James, what about yourself? Um, yeah, I, I really, really like this question. And I think um, Artem and Jack have already covered so many important aspects of it. Uh, you know, re really like some of the things that were mentioned around aligning the motivation to the personal motivation of every team member and how they want to grow. Um, that's, that's so important. Um, but the, what, what I think is really interesting about this question is maybe there's still so much more to be mentioned. So I, I thought I might do that and maybe add new things on top of the great things that have already been mentioned. Sure. Um, you know, focusing on um, keeping staff motivated, those words about staff motivation. Um, what I really like about this one is... Um, 
you know, there are some some uh, some people may think are obvious things like you know compensation and bonuses. Those aspects which are important. Um, but once you've been around those things for a while, you you kind of realize that's not always at the top of the list to keep staff motivated. And so, and so what I thought what I might do is uh, even though I know everyone's got slightly different opinions on these things, um, maybe just share some of the things I found really go a long way towards motivating teams, building great teams. And um, kind of at, at the top of my list in the in the first uh, couple of points, I found that if you surround great people with other great talent, that goes a long way. If you, if you really work hard at building those great teams where people feel, I'd love being part of this team. You know, um, I've, I've got great product managers, great engineers around me. We are building great things together. Um, people who can they, they can learn from and people who can challenge them, you know, because they, they, they learn new skills. Um, I found that's a, you know, it's not, not such an obvious one, but if you build those kind of great teams that people love to be a part of, um, that can go a long way towards keeping people motivated. Um, a second one that I'll add there is uh, I really like this idea of promoting the principle of ownership. Because uh, sometimes, you know, many squads out there kind of are not built or are being operated that way. You know, um, you do engineering work, you, you build products, but you're kind of like just adding tasks and building features. And you don't really know why or where does this end up. But, but if you build the teams around the concept that they own certain services or certain products, that can bring great motivation because it's kind of like we, we own this. You know, we own this. Uh, if there's something about it that we don't like, well, we'll re-architect it, we'll engineer it. Uh, when things, you know, may go wrong with it, we're responsible for that. So let's make it great so it doesn't go wrong. So, so I really like that idea of always be thinking about we we own these products and these features and, and these systems that we're creating together. Um, another one that I'll add there is, um, I, I think Jack uh, touched on this, but just maintaining that transparent and effective communication. You know, that, that's so important to keep stuff motivated, uh, you know, whether the times are good or times are difficult. But, but if you keep the team informed and bring them along on the journey, you know, we're going to have to make these big changes, go in a slightly different direction and, and try to give us as much, um, you know, head, headway in way of notice, you know, ahead of time when things are happening. Um, it, it's just great to lead with context. You know, why are we making these decisions? How is it going to affect the business? How is the next thing that we're going to work on going to help with that direction? So try, try as much as you can to keep that transparent and effective communication. And, and lastly, maybe just one other that I was thinking of adding is uh, obviously uh, in, in this kind of creative uh, roles that, that we're working in developing products and, and software, it, um, it's always good to, or people always are motivated by having challenging work. Uh, and, and um, you know, and, and it, it sounds a bit obvious to, to mention it, but you kind of have to do it in a, in a, in a creative way where uh, obviously you want to, you don't want to set up people to fail, but you want to set, set um, stretch goals, um, you know, but maybe do a bit of what you're already really good at, you know, to make sure that you maintain the form, but how do we set some challenges? Uh, maybe on this one, I thought I'd finish by adding just, just a quick example of uh, what something like that could look like. Um, I, I always remember, you know, a time, um, a couple of jobs back when I was working with a .NET company um, and we had some really strong .NET developers there, but we were trying to work on a feature where to connect for some pricing information, we had to connect to another company and the SDKs that company provided were only done in Java, right? And so I had maybe some uh, one mid-level developer who was trying to get this working. It's like, oh, I, I, I don't really know how to go about this because 
we're a .NET company and they do things in Java, right? Um, but but if you kind of frame it correctly as a growth opportunity, and, and you know, knowing that I understood the technology involved, you know, C Sharp is a lot like Java. So yes, even though there's differences, uh, it's it's about just you know giving them the support, giving them the encouragement. Let's have a look at, at it together. And when they sort of um, accomplish that stretch goal and get something like that working, it's like, oh, you know, I didn't think I could get this working. Now I've got more confidence. Now I could take on, on bigger goals and bigger things. Yeah, so, so I, I think all of those things, you know, um, on top of everything that Artem and Jack already um, added, I'm, I'm sure Vinish is going to add a couple more things. Uh, all these things can help so much with keeping stuff motivated. Cheers, James. And um, and yeah, so uh, Sabinish, over to yourself. I know, obviously, um, I presume one of your um, your points may also tie in quite nicely to the last question. So feel free to, to yeah. lead into there too. Yeah, look, uh, first I want to start with something that, that Jack mentioned. That was, you know, finger pointing and blowing the fun assigning to team members. Um, that I also find very counterproductive. So I agree with Jack there. One of the things that I always tell my team is that we succeed as a team and we fail as a team. And their first focus is to help their team members before they help themselves. And really trying to build that culture of collaboration, not competition. Because um, you know, if they're in competition with each other, they're not going to be collaborating, they're not going to be helping each other, and they're not going to be succeeding together. Um, so I just want to agree with, with Jack, Jack's point there. Now, when it comes to motivation, the, the approach that I take is trying to understand where somebody is in their career. Um, because depending on where they are in their career or what stage, uh, they will have very, very different motivators. Uh, what I found is that people who are in the more early stage of their career are very hungry. They want to you know, try all the new technologies. They want to throw out all the legacy stuff and start again. Um, and they want to... Uh, you know, be able to do all the, you know, the, the fancy, funky new things. And, you know, working with them to moderate that, but also, you know, sort of satiate that need as well um, is very important in motivating those people who are earlier in their career. But when people, you know, move along in their career and they get a little bit more seniority, they may be looking for, you know, those leadership opportunities. Um, and it's not just the leadership in leading people, but decision making. They want to be the ones to be able to say, do you know what, this is how we are going to solve this problem. This is how we're going to build this thing. This is how we're going to um, design, you know, whatever it is that we're doing here. Um, giving them that decision-making power, giving them that autonomy um, will motivate people, you know, who are more senior in uh, in their career as well. Um, and that may fluctuate, you know, somebody might, you know, still want to try new things and be more senior in, in their career. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, someone who is you know, very junior will uh, you know, when you're experienced, you're like, yep, I'm ready to be a tech lead. <laughs> Moderating that as well, I think that's really important. Um, but yeah, giving them the opportunity, you know, for them to show their, you know, their stuff, show their skills is very, very important as well. Um, so that's the approach that I, I take to motivation. Um, now, uh, Henry, do you want me to go straight into the, the next topic? Yeah, by, by all means, feel free. Yeah. So look, the next topic, of course, is, you know, continuously upskilling. How do we allow our team to continuously upskill um, and, you know, not stagnate without, you know, throwing away all of our legacy systems? Um, so, you know, a, a legacy system doesn't have to be something that's 10, 20 years old. It could be something that's four or five years old as well. It might be a library that's out of date. Um, it might be, you know, library that somebody stopped using and people want to throw it out. But we can't just throw it out because um, it works 
our clients are using it, our customers are using it. Um, and if we just throw it out and build it again, we'll probably build all the same problems into it that we built in, you know, that it already had before. So how do we um, allow our you know team members to continue upskilling, trying out new technologies and, and doing what we do? The approach that I take is that um, identifying a part of the system, you know, the sort of legacy system that they could move away from. It might be, you know, the APIs, it might be something else, and saying, okay, let's just try and experiment. Let's say, okay, this is the direction that, you know, um, this group of team members want to go in, go off, do a little short experiment, see if that experiment works, present that back to the team. And then as a team, we can make a decision on do we want to move ahead with that technology. If we're going to do that, then everyone on the team needs to be on board with that, you know, you know multiple people in the team upskilling to that so that it's not sort of this side project that one developer worked on and then left the company and that nobody knows how it works yet. Um, so yeah, so making sure that we're allowing for that innovation, but doing it in a way that meets the business's needs, that we're not um, throwing away, you know, the baby with the bathwater, that we're, you know, um, if we're rebuilding something, it has to be for well, very good reason, not just for the sake of rebuilding. It's got to be to, you know, improve the process, make something work better, it's got to be more performant, more scalable, more secure. All those sorts of considerations have to be taken into account as well. Um, rather than, you know, just giving any sort of, you know, rebuilding things because people want to rebuild things. Absolutely. Some great points there, Beanish. Um, Artem, what have you got to uh, to add to that? Uh, uh, it's uh, it's another, I guess, topic that probably always sits here and you know always haunts you. On because that's part of it. That very very well ties into the previous one, right? Into the motivation because people yeah. want to grow. They sometimes it's funny because sometimes they actually don't know what they want to grow. They just want to grow. Uh, so one thing is obviously uncovering that. In my experience, it was it was very interesting. I guess it was a big discovery for me working with people that, well, people not always want to grow technical skills. I mean, they do to an extent, but then when you kind of try to dig deeper, right, what exactly it is, then you find all of sorts of different answers. So, yep, one thing, uh, as Benish, you mentioned, uh, we've tried before, you know, and still when they practicing, right? If there is a way to say, you know, abstract some part of the system, especially if it's a legacy system, and maybe rewrite it or you know, optimize it in a new tech, that that's perfect, I guess, way of solving someone technical cravings. So maybe try a new stack or just maybe upgrade your current frameworks or try different approaches. I don't know if it was a monolith before, try, you know, your services or solar architecture or microservices if you want to go that route. Experiment basically, right? Either either on the tech stack or on the cloud, anything there. But then also sometimes people just want to learn engineering in general. So, okay, now how do you apply that to your work? Um, what helped, I guess, in my experience previously is that defining that clear career progressions right so okay you're here you are mm -hmm. i don't know an engineer senior engineer whatever what do you want to do next clearly because again a lot of people say well natural progression is lead which is in fact it is not there are this dual track, right? Management, managerial track, non-managerial, technical track. A lot of people are actually not aware of that because a lot of companies still don't have it. They just stuck at senior, maybe sometimes at principal, and that's it. And there is nowhere else to go except the management, which is obviously, again, creates all that pool of unhappy managers 
who want to be engineer. So defining that helps a lot. And then defining steps, what what needs to be like the te- steps that needs to be taken to basically get to where they, they, they want to uh, create that natural path of growth and natural path. Okay, I need to increase that skill. I need to learn that skill or grow that skill into the next level. So what exactly I'm going to do, I'm going to take trainings, I'm going to take courses, I'm going to, I don't know, go on conferences, I'm going to write something, I'm going to take part of the system and redesign it, I'm going to present something to the company or to the team. It can be anything, really. It depends on what people want to grow. Um, And you as a leader there is make sure that they are on the right track and guess share your knowledge, maybe your previous experience, and basically try and coach them so they don't you know get off the track too far they will from time to time left and right which is fine there's no direct road like no straight road to any goal but just making sure that they stay focused on the goal right and if they really want to go there they need to go there and also hold them accountable back that hey you know we agreed half a year ago that you want to go that route you ended up completely different place why maybe it's fine but you know you kind of need to have a reason it's not just because it so happened yeah, so that's, I guess, my thoughts on this. Awesome. Cheers, Artem. Um, James, over to yourself. Yeah, thanks, Henry. Um, great points again, um, you know, just describe over there about um, specifically sort of the tailoring growth, you know, understanding the growth that each team member wants to go through at what speed and, and trajectory and how we can support all of that. So, so I really like all those points. Uh, so I'll, I'll probably maybe add to that with some um, other points as well. Um, perhaps maybe to uh, mention this idea of what, what I call communities of practice. So, so, so moving beyond, you know, the tailored development plans for our team members. Um, I, th- I think when we start talking about, you know, running some large engineering teams, we as engineering leaders, um, it's really great if we can help to create this environment where people are learning with each other and from each other. Um, and it, there's so many ways to do that, right? I, I think these days it's pretty popular um, that companies will try to run something like an engineering guild. Um, now, um, it, it is um, easier said than done. I, I think, you know, to, to get that really going and to, to have the momentum and keep it going, there's a lot of um, care you got to take. And we as leaders have to help on that, at least in the beginning stages. Because um, I, I guess what I'm thinking of is, first of all, it's, it's great that that's what we want to create, you know, communities where, and, and channels where people can share knowledge and learn from each other. But um, I think it works even better once, you know, it takes a little while to get it established, but the community itself is running it. Not maybe run it like a manager meeting where the manager is running everything and the manager is presenting to the team, right? Sometimes it can start like that, but we just got to make sure that it evolves from that where everyone's involved. So it's the opportunity for engineers and team members to present to each other, to practice their presentation skills and present on some great topics. Obviously, that that's also complemented by you know you can have some asynchronous communication via Slack channels and and those kinds of things. Um, yeah, and I've just seen some really great things come out of that in in terms of continuing to upskill the team. Uh, because again, if I, if I use Prezi as my my current example, there's many great important technical decisions that the team themselves have suggested and led. You know, the introduction of Kotlin multi-platform in our mobile applications, for example. Uh, the time when we introduced GraphQL into our web layers, 
um, things that we're doing with databases and micro, uh, micro front ends nowadays as well. I found it uh, really encouraging that it's the team themselves saying, you know, th this has come up, this is a pattern in the industry, what do we all think about that? And there's lots of good discussions going um, on about that. And then it's like, how do we implement it in, into our company? Um, the last thing I want to add to, you know, what, I, what I've seen uh, is important and goes really well with creating those community of practices is it's really important that it's run with a good structure, you know, that it's documented what's the agenda, what's being discussed. And so important that we follow up on the actions because what I've seen can happen sometimes is, you know, you have the good meeting, you have the good conversation, people have great ideas and it may take a while until it goes anywhere. <laughs> so, so, so it's really important that we agree on the actions. How is this going to move forward? And that, that's how you keep um, building that momentum with the, with the whole team and, and everyone's upskilling as, as a result. 100%. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The, you know, the actions are extremely important. It's all well and good speaking about things, but, you know, you need to, to actually follow through and implement, um, you know, what you're going to say you do. Um, Beanish. Yeah, can I just uh, um, add one thing to that, that, you know, something that, that triggered by, by what James, James said, that, um, you know, when when we're talking about communities of practice and we're talking about upskilling everybody, it is important to upskill everybody. Um, I think what a lot of companies do, they sort of focus on their top performers and improving their, their top performers, but then you're leaving all these people behind. And if you're not upskilling them up, that's going to have a negative uh, effect you know, across the whole team as well. So you can't leave people behind. You gotta bring all those people at the bottom up as well, um, and not just focus on those top performers. And I think communities of practice is a really great idea um, to enable that and help that as well. Absolutely. Um, and, and Jack, over to yourself. Have you, wow. uh, what you got to add all, to? All, all great, uh, <laughs> all great real life experiences from Beanie, Shelton and James. Uh, all. I'll break this into three subsections as well. So the first one is about legacy systems. And I've got a lot of input about legacy systems, having, having worked on, <laughs> on a lot and a lot of legacy systems and, uh, and sometimes really sort of bringing these legacy systems into new. And, um, it's a very controversial topic and it's a very, um, uh, and there's no right and wrong way of doing it it's just it comes down to company time resources and uh potentially cost and benefit and sometimes like Binish says um it's it's not always possible to just hey we're going to build a completely new system um scrap scrap the previous one especially if these large these systems are super large they probably took like 10 years to build they span like 10 different departments um it's not always not always possible and by the time we build rebuild all of that it's going to be legacy again so um my approach to that really has been trying to find the middle line and it's also this concept of continually improving um so that um what are things that we can build maybe if we're working on this we could rebuild this um, um and this is where leaders come in really having this vision and thinking not only one step ahead, but potentially uh, five steps ahead going, okay, we're going to build this, build this, build this. And, um, and then after, after three steps, our systems, our legacy system is going to be magically say 50% new systems. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that's my, my first point. My second point is about failing fast and 
that is a um, a value which which I've really taken into my everyday life. Um, and uh, especially, for example, during startups, during um, I, I read this really good book called uh, Lean Startups. If anyone hasn't hasn't read it, I, I highly encourage it. It's it's really about um, be a business as a team. So let's try this. Um, quickly try it. If it doesn't work, we move on to something else. And it's really one of the um, one of the key things to have for for innovative companies and companies that really wants to move fast. Really, this this courage and this um, this support. Um, one way I would do it with, for example, code and systems is really having quite a good testing framework, right? Because as systems get larger and larger, uh, or uh, legacy systems get larger and larger, potentially um, in in these days where we keep our systems smaller and sizable bytes, maybe less things may go wrong. But with large systems, um, I really encourage people just, hey, let's let's update this, change this, and um, and see and run the test, see if it works. Um, oh, this bit's broken. This bit's broken. Let's let's fix it. As opposed to um, in the old days in the waterfall method, where it's very much all right. Let's let's think of all the path we're going to take, and that that planning and processing might take might take a few months. And then after, when it actually comes to building it, we might have run out of budget or time and constraints, or everyone's just lost interest, or um, or the fact that um, when we start building it, oh, something's gone wrong, and that that one month of planning has just gone down the window. So that's that's to do with failing fast. Um, what are some experiments and trial we can do? Maybe for a week or two weeks, see if it works. If we don't like it, let's change it. If we do like it, hey, let's keep doing it for a few more weeks, and maybe if it's good, we can we can stay. Applies to everything from software development to um, how teams work to systems um, and everything else. The final thing I wanted to talk about, which is which is really the key thing about learnings, right? So um, learnings is something that is really important. Not only does it actually feed into personal development and really making people people uh, good and well, but it also feeds into really um, a number of things that people have covered. There's thing. There's been things, for example, about scaling company, scaling of companies. You really need those uh, to grow your existing team in order for them to lead new, new developers or, or new other staff. Um, it also it also comes down to I think it was Artem that mentioned that hey um, you want or was it James that hey you want to work with a, a group of professionals that's at the top of their game, right? Like, like minds attract, right? So um, really building up that strong uh, team ecosystem in the company. Um, how I would, um, my unique approach to it, um, I'm going to make reference to Toastmasters, which is a really excellent, um, it's, a, it's a club where people learn how to do effective presentations and public speaking. Um, it was through that club that I learned the the benefits of uh, and how to coach coach and mentor people effectively. And as leaders, to a certain extent, we're also we can also be seen as potential potential mentors to teams. And it's um, it, it's 
a nice thing to have where teams can just go and um and, and talk to their mentor and go hey um is my direction right what are some things that maybe uh you may suggest maybe you've you've gone through it which would help a lot um also hackathons um as as james mentioned i used to run a run a hackathon hackathon company um and that's also a really great way to actually um get people started to to try something new um and and experiment and potentially um that could go a long way to actually maybe the start of a new product uh in the company autonomous teams um ownership we all talked about ownership that's something that is super important um with hackathons having a community led um project having them autonomous um being able to to build maybe say i know for example google a few other companies friday is free you can build your own project um and if that project has legs we're going to dump a bunch of money and you can build it into a into a mini department um so those are all uh really great things and finally um some other things we used to do in um some other things that that I've done with teams is really having um uh having these days where uh we improve uh, and improve all the uh versions of the code because as software is growing super fast um it's very important just to to do lots of um bits and pieces of tech debt to make sure um software and everything is uh libraries are kept up to date you don't want to be in a state where these things um are forced out of date and you have no choice but to update it um and i also run these practices learning practices where we can for example read a book together um uh, maybe every week um we might go through the clean go book um someone may may leave the session and and we can we can go through what are the things you like what are the things you don't like um what are some learnings and potential ways for discuss discussions uh finally there's also sessions where we could uh get together for people that are interested having a brand back session on uh some of the newest and greatest things we've done or some some experiments and things of interest where everyone could learn and and share i mean learning to a certain extent is very much sharing that's all from me awesome cheers jack and benish you've got something to add there Yeah, I just wanted to to talk about failing faster the point that Jack brought up. Um that you know, we have to be very careful that when we're creating this culture of um you know, failing fast that you know, we're also making sure it's a very safe space uh to fail for. Um otherwise it can be a, a demotivator. Um I know, you know, developers myself and other developer, you can become very emotionally attached to your code and if you're suddenly told that no we're going to throw this out it it can be very different <laughs> um so ensuring that that is a is a safe environment and coaching your team through that experience i think is really really important and making it not be a negative but be a learning experience um i'm sure everyone's gone through this experience where the product team has to change their direction and like yep we're not doing this anymore we're going to do something then that project's going to be sidelined it always happens it happens in, in every company um and making sure that that doesn't demotivate your team that i spent all this time and it's you know nothing's going to happen with it um they need to you know take that as a learning experience and they need to be supported and coached through that as well um and then the business side the business needs to understand as well that this is not um a failure 
of the business or fail on the business side. They need to understand what it means to, you know, uh, to fail fast as well. So there's a lot of, you know, education and coaching of the business and of the team that goes into that sort of culture as well. Very good point. Sure. Very good. For sure. Absolutely. James, what about yourself? Oh, thanks, Henry. Yeah, I just wanted to add up something quickly since, you know, we're still discussing the point of how do you keep your team upskilling. Uh, Jack said something that, uh, you know, like I, I really resonated with me again because we do this at Prezi as well, which is if your company can support um, the team with having learning time. You know, we, we have this concept that on Fridays, every second Friday, um, everyone gets, you know, at least half the day to be either learning something they want to learn on, work on their own project. Uh, people, you know, come together and build, you know, um, some things together. I, I like that for so many reasons, you know, just um, the innovation that's coming out of those things, the, the chance to learn new skills. But pr probably the thing that I like the best is it, it just helps us promote this habit that everyone on the team continues learning. You know, because we, we do understand, you know, there are people who can maybe do it outside of uh, outside of work on the weekends, but there are some people who can't because, you know, they've got a lot of other things going on. So, so to be able to do that within, you know, the, the, the company time and, and we do that, um, it just sets such a great habit that everyone continues upskilling. It's a great Definitely. thing to do. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that, James. Um, it's obviously a, a great tool to have when it comes to hiring as well. Um, to, to be able to offer that to, to your candidate to your employees should I say um, but yeah look that that uh, just about wraps us up for today um, I think that we've, there's been some extremely good points that um, a lot of the listeners uh, you know from from experienced leaders themselves they'll be able to um, relate to a lot of those points and also a lot of leaders that are uh, fairly early into their career of, of leading teams they'll be able to um, hopefully take some of these points and and action then into into their careers so um, just want to thank you guys for for joining it's been great to to listen to all your insights um and yeah great to great to have you on board on the evolution exchange mm -hmm.